Welcome to the Black Magic Collective podcast presented by Black Magic Design. This podcast is made by filmmakers for filmmakers. Join at blackmagiccollective.com to enjoy free membership and all that comes with it. Now, on with the show. Marcus, he is uh, he was selected as one of Variety's 10 stars behind the cameras. He's a German-born cinematographer who graduated from the University of Television and Film in Munich. And um, look, I'm just going to tell you, he just, one of his most recent works is uh, he DP'd Red Notice on Netflix and The Colony on Netflix. So he's going places. He's been places. He's so talented. I I mean, like the stuff he shoots is just gorgeous. So I'm going to let you read his bio because I want to use our time to actually talk to him. Ah, that was a lot. Here we go. Hey, Marcus, <laughs> welcome. Hi, Jen. Thanks. Thank Hi. you for having me. Thank you for being here. We tried to squeeze in so much so quickly to get right to it. Um, I would love, like, let's just start off with something fun and maybe just tell us one of your favorite parts of uh, when you were doing cinematography for Red Notice. What was one of your favorite parts of that? Um, good question. So many, so many fun scenes. But I think one of the most exciting ones to shoot was the opening sequence where we used an FPV race drone. Uh, starting in Rome, racing over a bridge, and ending up in a close-up of our main character, Dwayne Johnson, stepping out uh, in his close-up. So that was a really exciting one to plan and shoot. It was um, very cool, yeah. yeah. I always want to, like, because my films, you know, I've done a lot of indies, so we don't get to have these big, elaborate setups. And I always wonder how you guys pull off those really big, like, because obviously you're closing streets down or you're building streets, depending on, how, on the budget, you know, like, how are you technically pulling off a shot like that? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of planning. So there's usually a big table, a lot of people, right? With effects, supervisor, director, first AD, uh, myself. And we just talk through the script. And every time there's something that's out of the ordinary, right? We just brainstorm and come up with ideas. How could we tackle that? And some early at early discussions with Rosten Thurber, our fantastic director, and we 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 did a shot list for every scene, every shooting day, and uh, had so many options, like how would we tackle this? And I always try, like from a cinematographer's point of view, try to offer a solution. How can we shoot as much as possible in camera, right? And then uh, uh, be smart about where, where to integrate visual effects. Uh, because sometimes, right, when there's something, something difficult or like challenging, it's very easy to rely on visual effects. Visual effects yeah. that take care of it. But if you don't shoot it in a way that it links up, then I think it's uh, it's always a problem down the line in, in post production. So, what did you guys decide on that particular one? Was it a lot of like drone work? Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, we found this fantastic drone operator. You can look him up, Johnny FPV. Is his handle. He's like. Uh, super talented FPV operator and these little FPV drones, they, they race drones. So traditionally they fly uh, small GoPro cameras. They're very agile. They don't have a gimbal to stabilize. So they fly more like a plane in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and we figured out, like he built a custom drone and we, we had early prototypes of the red Komodo camera with a pretty small compact setup. And we figured out to fly that uh, did lots of rehearsal runs on our back lot where we had a basically a replica of the museum entrance and part of the bridge and we practiced this and uh, and yeah shot it basically in in two pieces and there's like a visual effects uh, transition where we blend between our Atlanta back lot where we shot everything with our actors 
and the relocation in Rome, where we went to start up the shop as a big white wow. shop. Wow, that's cool. Um, so when you're coming into like a movie that big, that scale, which we all know, like it had like a bazillion dollars as far as <laughs> Netflix money goes. But like, how do you even start approaching that with your director? Do you, is, is there, you know, is it creative concepts first? Like, is it technical? How do you like to work with your director? And especially on a movie of that scale with, we're talking just a lot of technical, I mean, all around, just technical stuff all over the place. And your coloring is beautiful in that. Like, how do you get to that end point? Uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, it's a lot of pre-production. I think it's so important to like use, look for uh, references. It could be all kinds of things. I watched the uh, movies with Ross and our director and we watched clips, sequences of other films just to see early on, like what do we like, what works for us or what could be interesting. Sometimes it, it because when you start from scratch, right? You, do, you you have to find your own visual language and tone. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it helps to watch something where you like everyone will see like this is not the right thing. We want to go somewhere else. So that helps you define uh, where you have to maybe do more research or shoot your own tests uh, because obviously you don't want to copy something that exists, but just to find the ballpark. Right. Um, like how dark is dark, right? When you say there's a moody scene taking place at night, for example, and uh, in the script it says uh, night dark. Uh, how dark does it really mean? Do you uh, because Red Notice, for example, it's like a lot of comedy, right? An action comedy, so you want to keep that light feel and fun feel, but still uh, not make it look like silly and uh, yeah. too, too heightened. Um, so this helps a lot. We so we watched movies sequences. Uh, I always shoot. Uh, many tests early on so we tried to find out what what's the shooting format what cameras what lenses what filtration so we experimented a lot with like old i was fascinated with that old hollywood glamour look what they did on the big especially female lead stars in the early age of hollywood right where they used uh, silk stocking diffusion and all kinds of diffusion tricks to give that special glow to their female leads so we experimented with that and 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 closely with with Ross and our director, we we've dialed in what's the right way for us to go, um, and we ended up using basically an old silk stocking that's not made anymore, and attached that behind the lens um, for certain certain shots and sequences. I'm always scared to put looks on my film, like when I'm shooting, because I'm always scared, like later i'm gonna regret it so mm -hmm. i always think it's brave when you go no we're committing to this look we're putting the filter in because i think we've gotten so used to relying on digital to create looks but it's not the same and i think that it shows in your in the red notice especially when we're, since we're talking about that that whatever choices you made on set definitely affected the final thing yeah um, that's right like i think of course especially when there's a lot of visual effects involved you have to be careful not to do something optically that might be a problem later on but so this we tested and closely collaborated with our visual effects department and they were all in saying shoot it the way you think it should look and we'll make the the set extension work to match that look That's awesome. because sometimes it's right if you start too clean uh, sure you can emulate a lot of uh, effects and post but if you don't have the right reference it will always feel more like sterile or 
No, oh, for sure. And it never really looks, yeah, yeah. the same. I've got some comments coming in for you that I think you should know. John Curtis says, the opening sequence is just freaking amazing. Watch this with my family. We actually commented on how beautiful it was. Kate Fogarty says, I thought Red Notice looks so good. Thank you. <laughs> it's really great. Um, and uh, I might say your name wrong. I'm so sorry. On Kai Kai says, really good job with the FPV. Those shots are crazy. <laughs> love, love, love. Um, and then... Oh, uh, Johnny says FPV drones are so much fun to fly when you know how to, but when you first learn, it's insanely scary. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so talk to everybody about, because you did end up making the choice, you know, obviously on cameras and lenses. Can, can you talk to us about Red Notice and then versus, say, the colony, where your camera choices went for each of those and lens choices and such? Yeah. Yeah, so I usually, I try to mix up either the camera or the lens or the shooting format from each project to, I don't know, keep it fresh and keep myself inspired. So, uh, and then usually I start with uh, deciding which lens I want to shoot on and then find which camera or sensor format fits that uh, format. So in uh, on Red Notice, we tested so many lenses and we ended up... Uh, with Panavision, uh, the large format anamorphics, the 1.52x squeeze, it's like they call ultra panatars. And we, we managed to get a couple of the original uh, focal length, which were built for Ben-Hur, like in the, oh, you know, nice. in the 50s, 60s. Um, and it's beautiful glass. It is uh, such a unique character. It's like very big, beautiful glass, the way it renders skin tone, it's beautiful. And so they're made for, they're only 1.25x squeeze. So if you know, a traditionally anamorphic is like two times squeeze. Um, but because of that mild squeeze, you it's beneficial to use a wide sensor. And we did a lot of tests and ended up with a red monstro, which is a, a pretty wide, uh, high resolution sensor. And that, that just created really amazing skin tones. I like how it, the, the high resolution subsamples, the grain, like you, you, you're very fine grain uh, or, or noise in, in that way. And you get very fine natural detail. I know that this resolution debate is always people are afraid. Mm -hmm. High resolution doesn't show wrinkles. In my opinion, it's the opposite. Like if you use too sharp high contrast glass, you see wrinkles, but I like to use uh, low contrast glass and a high resolution sensor that gives you very fine natural detail without over sharpening it. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, did you, how do you, it's like, how do you even commit though to like, do you ever have those moments where you're like, but I like this, but I like that. Like, how do you and your director go, okay, we're committing to this. Or do you yeah. have a moment of like, no, this is it. This is gorgeous, done. Yeah, so it's important, right? Sometimes a project gets greenlit and you have to start right away and sometimes there's not much prep. Uh, so it's important to, I, I try in between projects to go to rental houses or test equipment oh, nice. and, and to have like a pre-selection to know, oh, I want to explore this uh, for the next project. And then, yeah, it's important not to overwhelm yourself or others uh, with too many options. Uh, some mm -hmm. things might be also too subtle for really like you can show a, pr a producer 10 different lenses, they might uh, fall asleep. So just... Uh, test and show people what's really relevant um and then um yeah and watch it on the right uh, medium like we red notice had a theatrical release and, and of course netflix and it has to work on all devices right from the smallest phone to the biggest tv or home cinema uh, so it's important to watch those tests on different screen sizes and so this is what yeah, i always try to do yeah 
Um, really quick too, before we leave too much red notice behind, you had mentioned something fun about using a, the smaller black magic camera for um, some water stuff. Yeah, that was actually on the colony. So, so oh, the colony, this, yeah, yes. Talk, let's talk about that. Movie That's the colony, cool. which is also now on Netflix in the US and Canada. It's like a movie we shot in 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 Germany. Actually, it's like a European production. It's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie. Uh, uh, really fun if you're into this, check it out, The Colony. And uh, it's, uh, so the idea is the water level has risen, there's water everywhere. So we had our sets are either flooded, the flood comes in, or it's raining and there's moisture. Uh, so, and we, we even, our director, Tim Fehlbaum, he was also obsessed with water. He would personally, before every take, spritz water drops on the lenses. So everything was wet. Did uh, that stress you out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we tested this and I thought it's fine. <laughs> it's like, and it, it, it's an interesting right level of realism and you, something you can hardly create, like happy accidents, how light reacts to raindrops yeah. on, on, on the lens. And so there again, we tried to shoot as much as possible in camera. We had like a huge uh, photo print of the relocation. It's like a, a tidal, like a mud flat landscape. And the real landscape, the relocation, you can only shoot for like four hours when the tide is low and then the water comes back and wipes everything out. So we knew it would be impractical to shoot a whole movie in that location uh, because the tide is controlled yeah. by the moon cycle, right? So sometimes it falls into night. And uh, so we, we recreated a whole setting on a stage where we controlled everything, the elements. Um, there we also shot like large format anamorphics, like it was Hawk 65, they're very big large format anamorphics but then there's some physical scenes where like where the main character she gets uh pushed down in a in like some pit underground and she falls into water and we really wanted this the audience to feel like you're falling down and by the time just a, uh, i think the black magic pocket 6k came out and we um uh we, we got one of the early ones and put the smallest lens on it and put a rope on it and we padded it, of course, with uh, with some foam stuff and, and uh, threw it down. So in the movie, actually, the camera spins around and shoots me for a split second, but you think <laughs> I'm one of the characters with a so fast emotional, and the camera falls down and like a hard stop just in before the water. And it's like dynamic shots you could not create with any bigger uh, rig of a camera. It would like, uh, it would be way too risky, right? To risk like a $60 yeah. camera. Um, and the beauty about then the pocket camera, because it could shoot uh, raw, it's, it's, there's so much flexibility in post to match it to our other cameras. Um, so that was a pretty. I would shot. love to, um, I'm going to pause for a second, because I think everybody's familiar with Red Notice, because, you know, it has The Rock and Gal Gadot mm -hmm. and Ryan Reynolds. But the colony they may not be familiar with, and I think John Printo, our tech god behind the scenes, has um, at least a trailer or something. And I'd love to show that so people understand what we're about to talk about a little bit. So, John, if you could just show a piece of that trailer at least so we can talk about color and cameras and all that. She was called Mother Earth. We plundered everything she offered. from all reproductive technology efforts failed for both men and women they want to prove that we can procreate here on earth we came to earth on the first mission 
We waited so long. It's imperative that we give future generations the chance of civilization and bring our people home. For the many. For the many. Uh, really quick, I want to say to Freudian Glitch, who uh, just got on the DG as an assistant director and be filming their first short as a director in February. Congratulations! That's awesome. Um, some quick things. Now that you guys have seen Colony, I want to back up to some of these other things here, one of which is John says, the look of the colony is haunting. Baron and Daryl and a highlight of the movie's storytelling. I think he means the show. Um, the Colony... Or Orestis, you guys have really hard names. Uh, the colony has a very unique visual style. And on that, Pedro would like to ask, as a DP, how involved are you in coloring your projects? Are you in the color room every day with the colorist and the director? And I know someone earlier asked, how do you even land on your color palettes? So now that we know, we've talked Red Notice, which is very different from the colony, and they're both very unique and beautiful, let's talk color. Um, yeah, so, uh, I worked in, in Germany with uh, my colorist, uh, his name is Florian Uzi Martin, has a fun name. Uh, so he, uh, he's fantastic. We, we uh, collaborated early on. I worked with him on several projects. We shot tests, I think, two years before we actually um, started shooting principal photography. So we went out in the landscape, uh, tested all kinds of formats, 16 millimeter, uh film we had um different cameras and red helium anamorphic lenses uh spherical lenses and we brought in smoke and and an actress in a costume to do a, like a little proof of concept how would it look like how how does it actually feel to shoot there and we took that material like a 10 12 minute sequence into the grading suite and just started experimenting and uh, so i always uh try to develop one show lot for the entire project uh, with my colorist. So we, before we start shooting, we develop that look basically with That's using awesome. that, that uh, test footage. So we, and I try to make one lot that works for everything for day, exterior, night, interior, magic hour, everything. I, I believe in creating a consistent look. So as if you choose one film stock to shoot your movie on, unless you want for creative reason, maybe different uh, looks to separate it. But it also keeps the workflow pretty straightforward. There's no confusion that oh, for this scene we should have used the other lot. And right. So you can, and then I can really focus on for lighting and exposure. I can uh, trust that, and I know how this will behave and how it how it works in low light. Um, and yeah, especially for the colony, we had the, the idea was there's like basically no green, like it's everything is flooded, there's no plants growing, except later in the film there is one plant which is very significant. So we, there's a cool watery bluish look, but we made sure the LUT helps us a bit to remove green, if you would see any green oh, uh, somewhere. Yeah. So that when it shows up as a story point, as this, uh, this scene where they have a plant and talk about it, um, that it really stands out as something we haven't seen before. Uh, so two questions on that. One, uh, so I'm assuming then, since you're creating the LUT before, you're actually throwing that on so when people are at Video Village, they're seeing the color as it should be as opposed to the flat 
That's right. And, yeah. Okay. And then for those of you um, who may not know, I mean, so there's another question I want to ask you before that, though. La, la, uh, damn it. It's gone. <laughs> it was revolving around your colorist. Oh, so my, my big question is at the studio level, are you getting paid for that time, those testings and all that stuff? Are you still doing it sort of as a you're on your own time? Yeah, usually the that's part of my pre-production, like a paid pre-production phase nice. where I shoot tests, go to the grading suite, um, and then until the very end when there's the final color timing. Um, sometimes uh, I have like a base LUT I use basically from previous project maybe, and and maybe I tweak it in my free time with a colorist. If there's something coming up, like a project which doesn't have much pre-production time, like if it's a commercial or... Uh, something quick, but usually on a feature film, that's part of the paid uh, pre-production. Uh, when I do Great. all this research, yeah. I mean, you're an, when you're an indie, nothing's. You're lucky to ever get paid pre-production, as I'm sure you remember. So it's yeah. great to hear that as you level up, there's money. Um, so for those of you who aren't necessarily even familiar as familiar with creating LUTs and stuff, I have a LUT on this camera here. So this is I'm this camera that's shooting me is a Blackmagic um, 6K, and if I didn't have the LUT on, it would just be a flat color, but you're getting all this color because the colorist created the LUT and then I put it on and I can select it in camera, which is one reason I also love Blackmagic cameras. They're so easy to do all that stuff. Um, I want to see if anybody else has any questions. Um, did, there's so many questions. Wow, guys. Uh, what is So this is an interesting one. Uh, Vincent asked, what is the hardest mood to create? Good question. Um, I think um yeah like magic hour like this blue hour right which looks very nice in real life but only lasts like 20 minutes <laughs> and when you're shooting on stage sometimes it's tempting to create this because you can freeze time and keep it all day long but then it's always the challenge to like be dark but still see the, the performance in the actor's eyes uh without like over lighting uh, or like this last, uh, how do you say, the last kiss of sunlight, right? When the sun is really low, which can be very beautiful, but it always, it's easy to feel artificial because the light, you're used, uh, on a day exterior, you're used to the sun being really bright and punchy. But when you do this very low sunlight, you have to go a low level sunlight. And that on stage, I feel like can easily feel artificial. So that's always tricky, I feel, to create. Um, but also the most rewarding if you pull it off, right? You can shoot magic hour or, or, or sunset all day long on a soundstage. Yeah. Yeah. Have the, the, cause I'm, I'm like more of a, like a romantic dramedy director. So I love the sun streaks and mm -hmm. the romance and yeah, you get like what, 10 minutes of that and that's it. It's gone. Um, let's see what else we got so many questions. I can't even keep up with you guys. This is great. Everybody's very excited to be here with you. Um, a lot of color questions. I'd love to hear from other people in other disciplines. Um, while we while we wait for them to bring in questions that are not color related, <laughs> guys, think of, who else is here? What else mm -hmm. disciplines are you? Let's talk about how you work with your director as far mm -hmm. as like on set. Um, it, every director is different, obviously, mm -hmm. but is there an ideal situation um, for how you communicate, how you deal with you know issues that arise? Um, do you just take, do you guys already have so much pre-production that when you're on set, you're just, you kind of just go, go, go. A little yeah, bit about your I, process would be great. I think it all depends on the director, right? Everyone works different. And um, 
maybe the first couple of days is on even with all the pre-production the first day or two is always a warm-up phase to if you work with someone new but i usually on, on bigger movies when we shoot with uh, multiple cameras i try to be next to the director like we have a basically share video village have our monitors right next to each other so we can communicate during the take or sometimes just a glance and we point at the screen and uh and so by the time we cut immediately we know what to improve for the next one for example um and i only operate on a big most when it's several cam cameras like i only operate sometimes uh for specific shots if it's like a handheld shot or uh, something i'm very passionate about and want to make sure it's exactly that way but usually we have such fantastic operators and we communicate with a headset from video village so it's uh that's for me the best to, to be right next to the director yeah, i can read in his eyes or her is he or she happy or you can see ah oh, something didn't like or this maybe sometimes it's a background some some person walking at the wrong timing and maybe the first ad didn't see that but i, I can tell this is like ruined the shot in a way so i can communicate that um with the first ad and everyone um and then yeah, I, I feel this is sometimes on smaller movies, a single camera, I'm operating myself, but then I find I'm running back and forth to video village a lot. We may, might check a playback and talk about it or uh, get some notes. It all depends on, on what the director prefers, of course. Um, Kayla keeps asking this, but I've only been m m not looking at it, Kayla, because I feel like he's on a bigger scale than what you're asking possibly, but Kayla, since she keeps wanting to know, I'm going to put it up. Uh, what is your favorite gimbal and stabilizer to use? And I think that might, the, the answer, the bigger question might be like, how do you choose if you're gonna go, you know, handheld sticks, gimbal, yeah, drone, yeah, yeah. crane, like there's so many choices, yeah. especially yeah. at some level like Red Notice. Yeah, yeah, so in general, it's a good question. Like I don't have any, go to tools to say, oh, I'm using only this gimbal or that. I think it's really important to be always, for every project, be completely open. I always start from scratch. Every time I feel right. like, I, of course, there's experience from previous projects, but uh, I always try to start from scratch, read the script and find what, as if this is my first movie ever, and uh, what is the best lighting technique? What is the best? Do we need a doll, a crane? What kind of crane? Instead of saying, oh, I like the whatever, the Tecmo 50. Um, uh, and the same goes for, for gimbals or is this what kind of movement we're following this actor? Is the Steadicam the right tool or like a gimbal? And so it has to be always a good reason. And I try to really think it through for uh, a long time um, before settling on the right tool, basically. And then I think it's important also to narrow down your selection so you don't end up with oh fun in the afternoon we need a special gimbal for this and then we go back to the dolly and then to the crane which yeah. might uh cost you a lot of time and then that takes away time the director has right working with the actors so i try to find a solution that's very universal and allows us to just keep the flow on the day uh, so there's a lot of interesting systems out there right like there's this uh, airy trinity which is like a hybrid of a gimbal and a Steadicam, but also not maybe not for everything. And um, and gimbals, it really depends what kind of capacity, right? Weight, what camera and lenses you fly. Uh, usually, when we, we shoot uh, with big anamorphic lenses, you really need a, a big gimbal, like whatever, like a Ronin Pro, or uh, there's all kinds of uh, systems out there. And then sometimes it becomes so big and 
then maybe the gimbal is not really the right tool anymore and you'd rather go on a crane with a stabilized head to keep it flowing. Um, yeah, I, I shoot, like, I, music is like my biggest passion, anything music I shoot, so I love gimbals. Like, I, like, I would live on a gimbal if I could, but they're such a pain in the ass. But yeah, I, I love it to bring up all the tools. So I think sometimes yeah. we even forget, like, sometimes you just need to be on sticks. Sometimes that's just the yeah. choice you should be making. And or it, grab it in your hand, right? And you can, yeah. that's with gimbals, right? There's, uh, even in 2022, there's, uh, the technology came so far, but I feel with gimbals, there's always something. Maybe that you need to recalibrate for some reason or something. Yeah doesn't work and then it's maybe the worst moment where the actor is right in the middle of a performance yep. but if you yep. if you're handheld you always can you just grab the camera and can go i think we, i have a love-hate relationship with gimbals because like i'm like yeah. i hate you and i'm balancing it and i hate you and then it makes that one it gets that one magic moment you're like i love you this is why we're still together yeah. Yeah. <laughs> someone had a great question for you where did it go uh, questions are coming so fast guys i'm sorry if i don't see your question feel free to uh put it in again oh this was it vincent's question i love what do you look for in a script or director before you take on a project good question um so every besides time, money, of course. Besides money, yeah. That's <laughs> usually, sometimes you don't even know in the beginning. They send you a script and you just try to find out. Uh, of course, you look at the filmmakers, the director, producer, artists. Uh, do they have a track record of, of making interesting projects or or can you see the potential? Sometimes the first time director, but or you saw some, maybe there's a link attached to some short films or, or, or some previous work to get a sense that's really helpful for me to how to read the script, right? Because script is uh, so many versions you can do it, but knowing who's the director and what kind of previous work uh, he or right. she has done to get a sense how to read it. And then I personally always go from, am I personally interested to see that? Would I want to see that film? And, and is there any passion coming up in me? And how, how could we shoot that and tell that story visually? And if I don't feel that, I, I, I feel like I'm not the right person to do it because it's, I want to stop and point that out because this is something I preach to all of our people. They hear it. They're probably tired of me saying it, but like I'm constantly saying, if it's not a hell yes, if your heart isn't on fire, literally my production company is called Heart on Fire Productions. If your heart is not on fire, do not do it. I don't care how big the check is because I feel like at some point you're just going to be miserable mm -hmm. if you take it for the paycheck and not for the passion. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay your rent, but still, like, there's got to be, I think there's got to be that balance of both. Yeah. I love that you said that. And I think um, you can deliver great work, right? If you're not really passionate about it, you might not have the right, you will maybe fall back to some traditional approach and how to solve that problem in that scene. But if you're really passionate about it, you will do all the research and, and because it's such a commitment, sort of even if you if you go, I'm not going to do any prep yeah. and I'm not going to do any post. I'm just going to go shoot this. You're still committing to like yeah. so much of your time and your energy and your body and your health on that project. So I love that. Someone just had one. Guys, give me a second. Where to go? It was something about your influences that I love. I, I, I can't find out at this second, but basically it was, uh, do, do you have influ um, it was It was worded better than I'm going to ask it, but it was. Do you have any influences as far as like cinematography goes and like who, who has sort of influenced your style? Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot. I try to watch everything like from anime to documentaries, all kinds of features uh, just to, yeah, to be visually inspired. Sometimes you find something, even if you're maybe you're preparing a project that's maybe a dark thriller, uh, 
but then you watch a comedy and you you might discover something at first glance that doesn't fit but you say oh this would be really interesting to try this kind of thing so I, I get inspired by watching something that's very different from the actual project I'm thinking about in my head uh, but I mean like there's so many great cinematographers out there or filmmakers right it always it's a nobody works it's always a team effort right you need a visionary director a cinematographer and uh, I mean this year the awards you know so many inspiring projects but like back early on I know Darius Kanji was a big inspiration or it still is he's a uh, like what he did with Seven on Fincher Fincher uh, fascinating uh, to this day and um, yeah so many um, like uh, of course Kubrick's a big a big influence for like composition and uh, pacing uh, especially these days, right, where, where editing feels like it gets faster and faster. Mm -hmm. and But to, to really see how you can rely on a, if you have a strong shot and just uh, hold it and, and, and compose it in a way that it's interesting and, and keeps the attention of the audience. Um, but, I, yeah. I think that it's like there's a lot of pressure that cinematographers and directors, but cinematographers especially feel because there's so much technology and there's so many mm -hmm. options. So it's like, how do you, you know, it's like we talked about before, like, how do you make the choice? And there's just a lot of pressure on, you know, being unique or coming up with that new thing. Yeah. And and sometimes I think it does make sense to go, like, I like that you said you went back to sort of the old Hollywood movies and went, how can I use this as an inspiration? I love that. Um, uh, Mar uh, the Gen C, Marcus, do you want to work, do you work more in Europe or the US? Uh, I work more in the US. But in between, I work in you. I, I like to work uh, all over the world, and I think that's the fun part about our like profession, right? You you get to travel usually, um, see different places. I work like whatever in, in China, in India, and you see different ways of you work with different crews and see their their process, and that's I find always inspiring. Especially also working in Europe, like I grew up in in Germany in Europe. And where the, this, uh, the film industry is a bit smaller, but certain post, like positions are different, the way the gaffer and the key grip work together. And then I come back to the US with a, like on big movies, right? As a clear union uh, hierarchy, how things are done. So this always inspires me sometimes to think simple, like uh, not everything has to be, uh, like sometimes in, in, in on big projects, a very fairly simple thing uh, on a script page of a script becomes such a big deal that it's almost impossible to to execute like it's just water involved or something that's why shooting the colony in europe was really such an inspiring um shoot because we we did really complex stuff with water like underwater tanks mm -hmm. uh but everyone in the crew was so up to find unique solutions how can we pull this off with a really small tank and we go really close up against the window keep the camera outside the tank, like shooting through glass to not needing a underwater housing and all this stuff where maybe in a traditional studio uh, system, you would have a uh, underwater cam operator and safety divers and all this uh, thing added on and then more camera technicians and maybe equipment, which makes the thing so big and complex that maybe the producer will say, I think we have to cut that scene, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I like to work in different places and be inspired and the same when I come to Europe and, and bring experience what I learned on some of the bigger projects. And um, I think that's the fun of 
always learning, always uh, be open to to different ways of of making. And movies. I could just, I, I could. You're, are you booked up? I could feel like you're you're booked up for the next five years. Like between your work and your attitude, like I feel like everybody's just gonna. You're just in demand. Uh, I love this question from Magali Silva. She says, "Hi, Marcus. What's the first thing you do when you arrive on set, and the last thing you do before you leave?" Hmm. Uh, good question. I think first thing I'll I'll, I'll check immediately. I try, I try to be early, and uh, sometimes I'm even there before the crew and take a look. If it's if it's a stage thing, look at the set. It's sometimes really weird, and this, this the house lights are on. This, this it's not lit yet, right? To imagine how the whole thing will look and just use the this quiet this the quiet before the storm, right? Like uh, to yeah. just have a clear thought because once everyone Same. one shows up, there's a million questions, uh, and then we need to on stage. 12 you need this and then what second unit doing so really to focus in a quiet moment and uh think it through is everything in the right place or what do we need so that's the i try to be early and just think through the first maybe half of the day um a last thing i do i don't know i'll say goodbye to my crew and thank <laughs> you for the hard work it's uh, it's so uh, that's important that, though i laugh it, but it's actually true like you should, every day thank yeah. your crew for sure it's right we are it's a it's a collaborative uh, it's a collective right we're making that's the beauty about filmmaking this it's you, everybody brings in their talent and their expertise and their craft and then you create something that's bigger than the sum of the parts like uh it's not just what's written on the page and it's right it's not just the actress performance it's the everything the composer the editor the, the dolly grip the everyone brings in pa everybody yeah, i everyone, love yeah. that exactly this is a, a really interesting question from um tongue sticky out face uh, <laughs> do you ever feel imposter syndrome or get overwhelmed with work especially when you work larger scale films and if you do how do you deal with it i think this is something everybody deals with even on lower indie films like i've directed so much and i've been in the business over 20 years and i still before a film i'm like why did they hire me i don't know what i'm doing and then i get on set and i'm like you did you know exactly what you're doing but do you ever feel that as well i usually uh yeah really dive into deep and try to focus completely on that project like cut out every like try, make sure there's no other distractions of putting basically my life on hold in a yeah. way so I can really focus on that project. And usually it helps you're in a distant location, right? There, like I'm based in LA, but uh, you barely shoot here. You're gonna shoot in Atlanta or Canada or somewhere. Uh, so you, you're in a different city. So there's not too many distractions. You can really focus on that uh, project. And I think the pre-production is so important to get the confidence to know you thought through every major scene and prop. So you're not overwhelmed on the day. I think if you don't have that time, uh, maybe then that happens that that problems uh, every day right as a day of problem of the day problem of the week there's always something on a film shoot uh, that you can keep up with that and not lose track of the bigger picture so uh, i usually have to say i'm a fairly calm person and try just um, yeah don't panic i mean it's piece by piece you're gonna do it and if you don't know something ask your your gaffer or key grip or uh, go to a producer and just communicate, right? It's all about communication. If there's an issue you don't feel uh, maybe a decision was made, we have to shoot this, whatever, at the wrong time of the day because for some production reason, right? Like maybe the actor is not available and you really know like this will create a big problem, that the sun will be so bad. We'll uh, just try to communicate. 
with the right departments and and uh, figure it out. I think it's a really good thing that I just want to push that lesson home is communication, y'all that are watching, because um, a lot of times tempers flare on set just because a problem arises, but there's always going to be problems. So it's like, I think that we've all been in a situation where we're like, ah, but really it's more of the, okay, how can we solve this and working with your team? Because everybody's there to make the best project possible. Um, this is uh, one for our new filmmakers. Jada asks, do you have any advice for students who are working their way into the industry? And what I love about this question is, is there anything you wish someone would have told you when you were starting that like, I always had that, like, what would I tell my younger self mm -hmm. that I know now? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's no simple answer or shortcut. I think you have to, it's a, uh, it's a long, it's a, uh, it's a long journey, but uh, be, just uh how do you say that um i think just stick to it like uh keep sh doing projects you feel passionate about the next one will come you will learn um it, uh hard to say like there's no there's no simple advice to say yeah. you did this you're gonna be fine um but i mean the most important thing is to like we talked about earlier right if you do you, you have to make some money and make a living. But um, if you take too much work in, in projects, you personally don't feel represent what you want to do. Maybe you get sidetracked and, and, and also, you know, train your skills in the right way. Uh, so try to find, uh, find allies, like find directors or other filmmakers who have the same interest and, and find a project you can really deliver something unique. Like you have to stand out, right? There's so many, so many uh, projects being shot, short films, music videos, commercials, feature films, TV shows. Like to do something, you have to find something that you can make visually your own and do something uh, unique. Like not for the sake of being unique, but if you find something, the story and you have an idea, how can you, like, like the colony was about water and we really went for it. Everything is wet. It rained even on interior sets and everything was wet. We thought like, it's really go for it. It's a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you can find something and, and, and be bold and, and uh, don't try to just do it like by the books, like, you know, you can learn three point lighting and how do you expose properly? Like that's, Maybe something I learned or discovered during film school that I personally find like there's no right, there's no rules like um, and rules. It's are like you learn broken. the rule, yeah, right. You learn the rules so you know why, yeah. and then you break them around that. Yeah. I would also add, go back because when you talk about finding filmmakers and stuff, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned that like I knew people at a very high level when I first moved to LA. 20 years ago that I don't talk to now because when I came here, I was stupid and didn't know how to network. So like forming genuine, not desperate, not needy, but forming genuine connections with people is great. And also for those of you who are asking, how do I get more connected with people and have a filmmaker community? You found ones, Black Magic Collective. And then we have a private Facebook group where I'm trying to encourage you all to start talking to each other and like working together and finding your team. Cause I think that, and I'm sure Marcus would agree, like you start to find your army and those certain people you keep moving along with, or they keep pulling you along with. Um, so it's really important. Um, what what do we have here? We have, oh, this was one I like because Unreal Engine's become, come up a lot with Mandalorian and such. I don't know if you've worked with Unreal Engine, but Orestes asks, how do you prepare to work on a soundstage that operates as an Unreal Engine environment, if you've even done that yet? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a couple projects. Like also, Red Notice, we used uh, we didn't use Unreal, and and we used video walls with photographic plates. But I've done it before. So the the challenge is you start basically from scratch, right? You have a computer generated background, so you have to really work closely with the visual effect department and the, the production designer to create that environment because that environment becomes your lighting source. Like when it comes to what, if it's a day exterior, what kind of sky do you put in? Where's the sun coming from? Because it's gonna be baked into a certain degree. So it is really important again in pre-production to, to talk that through, but it, it can be very, like a real location is always inspiring. You go on a location uh, scout, you see a window, you see how, some, usually you go in several times at different times of the day and you get inspired by that, how that place looks, right? And can learn from it. But in on a virtual stage, it's basically, right? It's like a LED video wall, it's black, you turn it on and then whatever content you created is there. It's not, I feel not that inspiring. So you have to work way more with uh, reference material, research, landscapes and lighting, or maybe do light studies yourself with your camera and then make sure you early on uh, communicate and make sure that lighting is baked in basically or gets created. Um, otherwise you have a very fancy expensive machine, but you end up shooting something that's not very exciting or not using maybe the potential of that technology. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming to think of as a director, but like, mm -hmm. oh my God, would I love to shoot something like mm -hmm. the Mandalorian? I mean, just, mm -hmm. it's, I, I can't wait to get in there and get my hands on something like that. Um, this is a, Great question for um, from James. He's, I hope to shoot my first film this year. No hoping. Go do it, first of all. Uh, and want to embrace natural lighting for budget and narrative, which is very smart. A lot of us have done that for even our, whoever knows, umpteenth films because of budget. So do you have any tips on working with natural light and how much of a turnoff is natural lighting for DPs? Mm, yeah, I love working with uh, available light and Right, nothing. That's what you usually try to recreate with artificial lighting. You create, you try to recreate something that feels natural. So if you, you just have to be very smart in choosing your locations. Right? Is it uh, uh, if it's interiors, where the windows, uh, what's the sky direction, or if you're exterior, like you want to make sure, right? Uh, you you position your cameras in a way that you, the light doesn't change too drastically. Um, but I think it's liberating too, right? You can really focus on other things. You don't have to move lights. You can really focus on framing and, and, and the beauty with working natural light, you really have to adjust, be flexible and maybe adjust the position of the actors and the camera and, and cheat a bit. So the light comes from the right angle since you can't move the sun. Uh, but you can always cheat a bit how you position your actors. Don't, don't stick. That's my big thing. Don't stick too much to continuity and logic, like, I think uh, that's very dangerous. Like if you're slave to continuity and say, oh, we were like this, uh, but if it looks right or if it looks better, it's better for the scene, I think. Uh, so don't worry, the audience will not see the bigger picture. Like they don't have a behind the scenes camera, how that was shot, All everything that counts is right. What's in front of the lens in this little square. That's such Maybe. a good lesson I always want to point out is that like, Nobody cares that you had $5 or $5 million. Nobody cares that there was a fire on set, literally, that you had to put out, you know, and the fire department came or you were locked out of your location. You only had an hour. Nobody cares. Only thing people see is what's in that little square. So keep that in mind through everything you guys do. 
Um, this is a fun one. We have a sound person who's finally piping in here. Cool Dead. What is some advice you give to new sound mixers, specifically when it comes to working with more experienced DP? I think it's something we kind of, our sound people were just kind of always like, they know what they're doing. Just be there and have a shot. Uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, sound is so important, right? And that, uh, sometimes we have this issues, especially working on a sound stage, recreating the elements. You might have wind machines and which are noisy and really also important to dialogue to be really clear about. Maybe now we really need this wind machine and it's going to ruin the sound a bit or having the, the sound mixer really come up and say, I think that's really an issue. Can we work that out? Um, I think that, yeah, the communication there is important. Usually it, yeah, you sometimes you don't even notice the sound just sounds great and you do so much focused on the visual side and you feel like, how do they do that? Right. And it will never come with a boom and, uh, in the shot, but yeah, just communicate and, and, uh, sometimes right when the, where the mics are hidden, make sure it's, especially like for action stuff, when the actors move a lot, uh, for, like I always tell us the operators to have an eye on it because it's happened so many times that people don't pay or they're not aware maybe where is the wire where's the the transmitter so then you see something you're not aware what it is but later it becomes a pop problem you might have to paint it out or you don't have the budget so sometimes it helps to tell the the, the camera operator or dp like there's something here just make sure we don't see it or let me know when we shoot from behind so we can move the pack but yeah sound is so important right like everybody knows the the images uh half only half the magic the, the uh, make sure that you get great sound and, and, and capture the performance i like that you it almost it's almost making the sound new sound mixers feel comfortable knowing you do have a voice and you should use mm -hmm. your voice i mean don't be an annoying with yeah, it yeah <laughs> communicate uh kate has a lovely question What's one big thing you wish new directors knew about working with DPs? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's so different, right? There's no two directors who are the same. Uh, about direct, any directors that just drive you crazy? Yeah. Like you wish all directors wouldn't do this or you wish all directors would do this? Yeah, I feel like, especially remembering back to my time in film school and the early projects, I think sometimes younger director have this imagination that the director is doing everything, right? And is mm -hmm. designing the film, it's their creative vision, which of course it is, but uh, you don't, that's what you have to learn. You don't have to, right? You don't have to know how to, uh, every lens in the world or every camera system or gimbal and uh focus on the storytelling and communicate with your creative allies like and, and it's more about communicating like an emotion you want to achieve and then everyone brings in their expertise how can we actually do it so you don't have to precisely say yeah, yeah i want to be here in 50 that close uh but rather maybe communicating like what what do you want to achieve you want to create make a create a feeling of the character being isolated and lonely in his space right and then you find maybe what's the right lens and camera position and, and that way like don't put that pressure on you that you have to know everything and 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 design everything because then also you might you might limit yourself uh, and, and and might not hear the expertise of some of the experienced crew you're working with and also new directors you got to use your voice mm -hmm. you can't expect that your cinematographer knows what you're thinking. Um, but at the same time, you can't let your cinematographer, because not someone at Marcus level, I would hope would not be doing this, but sometimes new cinematographers, like fresh out of film school, 
don't know how to not be the director. So they want to choose shots or tell you no about shots, but you have to be firm about what you want, but hopefully in a way that's collaborative. I think as DPs and directors grow, they learn more how to communicate, but it's a little yeah. harder in the beginning. Um, we, we're actually out of time. I want to see if there's one quick question I can squeeze in. Um, and go to the bottom here. I've been, there's so many, you guys, thank you for sticking with us and asking us such lovely questions. Uh, what do we got? <laughs> this is a fun one. I'm going to end with this. Vincent says, Marcus, have you ever cried at the results of your cinematography? <laughs> Good question. Um, I think I had tears once in my eyes, but it's not that I think, wow, look at this amazing shot. It is when everything comes together, right? The performance, the, 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 the line of dialogue, the, mood of the shot and uh, i think i had a tear once in my eyes but it doesn't happen very often uh, but it's not like thinking wow what a great shot i think that's not how it works right it is the when everything comes together to yeah. the, the, the dialogue I've had, both. I've had the i remember at the very one of my like my second film or something getting the first mm -hmm. like cut and just crying i'm like yeah. how are we gonna make it better it was so bad you don't have to you, you got it you have it it's in a can right sometimes where you feel like goosebumps like oh wow this is that's best yeah or even yeah when you have a shot where like i always say like if i'm when i'm directing if 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 i my my arm hairs tingle or my heart tingles mm -hmm. or i if you get me to tear up that's the shot whether it's the yeah. shot itself the cinematography the acting i know we've got something because i'm yeah. so we're just i think as you know as directors and cinematographers and everything we're more technical we're like what was that what did they go through what do they do you know like you're constantly looking so that's such but a fun question that's so important that. i think to put yourself into the audience's shoes not because like i said there's so much technical stuff going on don't just worry about us oh, the depth of field right is the exposure but how does it feel does it feel right and then you can judge oh well we really got it this is the take right we don't have to with digital, it's so tempting to endlessly shoot more and more takes, yeah. but you might not even notice what you have in front of the lens right now. So. There's a lot of thank yous coming in for you um, as we wrap up. Uh, Johnny says, I love the insight and being able to ask questions. Kate, this was amazing. Thank you. Just lots and lots of thank yous. And I, I agree with that. Thank you. It was inspiring and interesting conversation from Guy. From Guy is that how we say it? Um, goes on and on. And I agree. I think this has been um, just a really lovely like insight into mm -hmm. your brain, which is so... You're just so talented. So it's great wow. to be able to talk to you and to find out that you're also a kind and awesome person. It's always lovely to combine the two. So thank you. You've been listening to the Black Magic Collective Podcast. If you're having fun talking tech in the biz with us, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please leave reviews as it helps others find the show so we can keep making great content for you. We're also on all of your favorite podcast apps as well as YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please visit blackmagiccollective.com to join and be part of the filmmaker community. All of our events and programs are free to filmmakers thanks to our presenting sponsor, Black Magic Design.